0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: So I'm Sabrina, I'm joining you today. This is my first show, so sorry about the hiccup there. Um, So, basically, today we're going to be talking about subject specialisms and all of the things we do to become a specialist in that subject we love. You know, for me, it was English. I went through, I did English, I did retrain, did a bit, did a bit IT, but predominantly my subject specialism, and I am a subject specialist in English, so... A little bit about me, my background is in FE predominantly, I've worked with 14 to 16 year olds, I've worked with adults, I've worked with 16 to 18 year olds. So really love to cover a broad range in the education sector. And um, as I mentioned before, covered a lot in English, but I've also taught other things. Um, And one thing that really interested me as I went through was the fact that, although I came in as an English expert, uh, kind of, um, I was asked to do loads of work across the college and I was doing a bit of this and a bit of that um, and I just wondered, you know, how important really is it to be a subject specialist for your students, for your organisation and for yourself? Um, so we've got an amazing guest with us today, we've got Alex Armanfad who is um, a teaching and learning expert, he's a, he's a mentor, he goes around helping people, inducts them and works in his own subject specialism. He's worked in schools and FE and he's going to give us a bit of a rounded approach as well. So Alex is going to just introduce himself.
2: Hi there, um, thanks for having me. Um, this is a new experience. So I just say, my name is Alex Harmon-Fired and um, my current job title is teaching and learning mentor and I currently work with the business team. I work in a large FE college um, which has got almost every subject sector area in FE that you can think of Um, and moving forward in the next academic year I am the teaching and learning mentor for the business department, the business team and what that means is I'll I'll lecture in uh, business all the way from level one to to HE Um, and then I also support and sort of foster a collaborative approach amongst the business team to share good practice, to onboard new staff, because actually, I'm just thinking that when we're onboarding new staff, it's a slightly different approach in FE than it is in, um, say, in a secondary. So there are some similarities, but you did touch up upon there, um, obviously, working there. Uh, there are some differences in the onboarding of staff. I suppose that plays into where we're talking about where subject specialism comes into play within within the sector. Um, but yeah, in a nutshell, I lecture and I support all the staff.
1: Thanks. I'm sure it's a bit more than that, but yeah, you're being a bit modest to think. Um, so, first off, um, you're in the business area, you're supporting the business team. Is your specialism business?
2: So, yeah, so by chance it is. Um, and when I say by chance, I've worked in this organization for well, approaching 10 years now, actually. Um, so, prior to coming to the station I worked in lots of secondary schools. I had a permanent job in a secondary school, but I did a lot of supply. And then I left the secondary school setting and joined FE. And when I came to FE, I came as a, I was fully qualified. I'd worked in secondary schools and actually joined the business team. This was almost 10 years ago. Um, but I soon realized um, early to school that there was kind of elements of business and ICT. Um, but over time, while I've worked here, that's kind of evolved in different areas. Across the college I've worked in different areas um, but yeah my subject specialism originally was business with a little bit of IT and then I migrated over uh, to some internal movements within the organisation um, I migrated over to computing again that was probably in line with um, the government changes although the college did still um, offer IT uh, as a separate um, course so I moved over to computing um maths um and then it, it kind of comes full cycle um move back over to to business so yeah so now we're the, the bread and butter i'll say really is vocational business um traditionally we've had level two level three um so for any one that doesn't levels within you know they might not work in fe level two is effectively gcse level Level three is effectively A level, Uh, but this upcoming academic year, we've also introduced level one. So that's kind of skills for business. We've got level two, level three. Um, Last year we had, we're one of the first organisations in the country to offer T-level business, which is the government's flagship program, Um, focused far more on um, work placements. Um, So there's a lot more work placement involvement Compared to a, a standard level three, um, and then we also have a HE centre. So basically, what we've got now we've, we've got we've got pathways. We could have a, we could have a learner kind of coming with no qualifications whatsoever. We've got a pathway, and we can support that learner's journey from level one all the way to uh, a degree level. Um, so we've got that in business. Um, I'm not trying. To, I'm not. No way. Trying to promote the college here. You know, <laughs> it sounds no, like you are. <laughs> no, I'm no way. Trying to promote the college here, but we're looking at. You know, we're, t- we're talking the subject. We're about subject specialisms here, yeah. and so the idea, the concept that you know you can take a learner from level one all the way through to HE. You know, you need the right staff, and then you need you need the right subject specialism subject knowledge to be able to do that.
1: So thinking about, say, the staff currently, you working alongside and onboarding, etc. Are they all qualified to a certain level, a presumed degree level in business or something relevant?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really important, you know, you know as well as I do, that it's really important that we kind of have certain competencies competencies as, as, um, as educators, as, as teachers and lecturers. And one of those, in my opinion, one of those key areas or attributes that you need is resilience um, and you need to be able to be ad- adaptable. So adaptability and resilience kind of go hand in hand, in, in my opinion. Um, so all of the, the, the staff that we kind of onboard at, at the organisation you know, is qualified to a, comp- a competent level. Um, so obviously you always need to be at least one. If not multiple levels higher than what you're actually uh, delivering. So for example if you're teaching on a level one program you're going to be, you're still going to be um, degree qualified um, and that's so that you've got that level of subject knowledge but also kind of the the academic skills. You know you've been on that journey, you you know what's expected, you understand how a, our a program is built in and um, delivered I suppose. But in terms of the specialism different subjects and this is I mean this is my opinion different subjects have varying amounts of annual change now mm-hmm. what I mean by that is and I'm by no means putting down any um whatsoever but if we think about kind of more traditional subjects if we look at maths for example and I really like maths and i your not sure all your listeners do but I, I do like maths and I like the logic there
1: you there's, taught maths didn't you
2: yeah I've taught maths um, at the college, um, I mean it was at the college we were I was personally delivering to a just foundation GCSE level so you know it, not too strenuous although you know some people do struggle with maths at that level. Uh, I suppose the national statistics you know everyone's not passing GCSE maths and that's why there's a a need for it in the FE sector um, but maths
3: It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German, and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability, or reasoning. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24.
2: Again, I don't want to offend anyone, but there's, there's very little changes in, in the maths uh, curriculum. Now, obviously, there's a, there's a huge change a couple of years ago with the the, the, the grade boundaries change in the introduction of a, a, a third paper. Um, but kind of on an annual basis, there's, there's fewer changes, whereas if in that, um, say, computing, for example, or bear in mind in the FE sector, we're, we're constantly trying to develop the learners' knowledge, skills and behaviours to, to kind of go on to the next level. That might be a university, that might be a job or an apprenticeship. There are some subject areas where change is inevitable and a lot quicker Um, so in terms of subject knowledge it's very challenging to ensure that every single member of your team is up to date with every single change that's happening in the the world. Um, Would you
1: say then that we need to have subject specific CPD for those particular areas that are constantly changing to make sure that the subject knowledge is always kind of on the cusp of
2: what's going on out there. Absolutely, and I think the organis- organisation I work in are very good at that. Um, so there's an expectation on each member of the team across the organisation to be on top of their CPD. So we use a system where we where we have kind of the organisation's CPD, which can, the rollout of changes might be governmental changes or organisational changes, but then there is an expectation that. We are constantly updating our skill set. Now, years ago, they used to we used to have a a theme. It was brew your own CPD, and then it became a little bit more prescriptive, and then it's found a happy happy medium. But in terms of, um, we can do online CPD. We can go to teach meets. We can teach meets. We can um across February half term. What we tr well, what we try to do as an organisation across February half term, we able to have a return to industry week where Mm -hmm. let's say let's say you're uh, working in a motor vehicle you're a mechanic you might have worked lecturing for maybe say let's say five years for argument's sake there might have been within those five years or things in workshops might have changed a little bit so rather than it's not taking a holiday you know it's still a paid day you would reach out to an organization and, and, and go and see kind of what industry changes are happening so that you can bring that back into the classroom. So the idea is you know, you've you kind of went through your studies and you've got a vocational mm. background or an academic background, but then you can keep up to date and you can bring those ideas back in. The reason being, obviously being uh, in the FE sector, again, the implementation of T levels, we've got learners going out to all sorts of industries, all sorts of um, different subject specialisms, Even within one subject sector area, let's say there was 10 students going 10 different might all be in the same uh, sector, but they all might do things differently and there might be different innovations. So it's quite tricky to sort of be able to teach specific things that an individual wants. It's almost, we've got to grab a a holistic view of kind of what the sector wants and equip our learners with, again, those knowledge, skills and behaviours, so that no matter which, Organization, they go into, um, they'd be well equipped to be able to move forward. You know, I'm sure some organizations out there would like us to be almost a a, 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 a one year or a two year induction for their organization, but obviously we're mm-hmm. bound by we're bound by um, exam boards, we're bound by you know sort of the bigger picture. So we have to work. We have to work as an organization, as the employees in this organization, we have to work as closely as we can with local employers and find out what the local employer needs are and again you know building those building those bridges and uh, relationships more than ever before really you know that's that's what offset's looking for that's what parents and guardians are looking for and really it's putting the student at, at the heart of things at the heart of the learning so that we can ensure that we're delivering as best we can what they need to be able to move forward i hope that makes sense <laughs>
1: yeah that's brilliant so there's a lot there about you know the kind of expectations of what the student essentially your customer wants and and what they need to get into employment and industry Mm -hmm. so how realistic or how feasible is it in the current market where we're really struggling to recruit those subject specialists especially in sectors where industry tends to pay staff more than they would if they were teaching or lecturing um is there an opportunity there for people to change subject specialisms etc whilst working um evolving or whatever because i know um i've had to do that you know I've, i've had to change what i've taught i've had to take different directions myself um and i've taught outside my subject specialism like how realistic is that in today's climate to sustain that and especially with the ofsted inspection kind of framework focusing on subject specialist knowledge
2: yeah, that's a really well. I suppose that's the multi-million pound question. Um, you know, recently on the radio, I've heard adverts, like governmental adverts, trying to um, encourage people to teach an FE, and, and you know, maybe that's gone on in the past, but it's really, um, it's 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 being brought to my attention just recently. I suppose that's caught my ear. Um,
1: are there specific specific areas that are, we've got more shortage? I'm aware the STEM areas are really really short in the FE sector. Look, like we're struggling to recruit. It tends to always be the science, tech, maths. Absolutely.
2: Um, well, I mean, you know, different colleges have different um, specialisms, and um, it all depends on locality. So, if anyone wanted to come into the sector, you know, it's it, it wouldn't take long to do a little bit of an analysis and kind of find out well, what does the college deliver? Um, what's their subject specialism or their their main area that that they're pushing for and then looking at what does that area pay if working in that industry and I suppose without going into too many details or where kind of recruitment issues may may or may not be um, if you look at well for argument's sake I'm just making the numbers up here let's say an electrician was getting paid 100 grand a year then an FE college Wanted to recruit someone to teach electrical. That that's where the discrepancies might come in because ultimately, you know, we are we we have kind of got a pay structure. There is this pay structure in place, and if there are some industries that are really uh, paying massive amounts more, that's that's where the, the the shortages will be within within that college or that that, that um, service provider so uh,
1: how would we how would we fill those gaps to get those subject specific um lecturers teachers
2: so again that's that is the, that is the main challenge and you've mentioned you know there's there, there might be almost teachers in a certain a specific subject sector area and then as you've mentioned before you've taught outside of your specialism so you, there there are Opportunities, I'd say, to be able to migrate over and and teach in different areas. Now, again, it comes back to subject specialism. That might be a case of, you know, depending on the organisation, they might they might recruit somebody, um, they might recruit somebody to teach, let's say, teach English, and then they need them to teach biology. So, whether they could work with that employer, um, they could work with that. As long as they've got you know, a good track record and they get on with them, there's nothing stopping the employer or that member of the team to um, upskill in that area. So they may they may, may need a level of qualification. So they could fund that independently, or the organisation might fund it for them, and then they could migrate over. So that's one way you could take some a team that uh, a member that already works in the team and upskill them academically, um, so they've got that, that foundation uh, subject specialist knowledge or what else the sector does is it, it goes out and like the radio advert suggests it it kind of tempts people over saying you know well have you considered a career in teaching um have you got kind of knowledge skills you know specialisms that you could could pass on and it, what it sounds like as well you know unlike school or i'd say less like school uh, there's a little bit more flexibility with you with your working hours and fe so, there's there's an approach to try and say, well, okay, you, you're an electrician and you're in my, my example, earlier was a hundred thousand pounds a year. Maybe could you come in a day or half a day, or even which also we're, we're constantly trying to trying to do is have a say so of a core teaching team, but then bring in as many guest speakers, specialis- specialisms, visits, trips, so that our learners are um, exposed to as many. Uh, as many people with specialist knowledge as possible. So it takes it sort of takes a village to, to to raise a child, and just like that within a within the FE sector, you know you don't just want one teacher teaching. I mean, maybe the, I'm sure it does happen, but maybe students might get bored if you've got one teacher teaching everything to that group of learners. So as much kind of cross pollination, as much um, exposure to. Different industries, different people, different ways of doing things. It can only can only be good for those learners. Now, obviously, you could say, take that to the extreme, and it sounds like it becomes a little bit chaotic. And and, and sometimes it, it can become a little bit chaotic. And that's why, as I say, you need that core teaching team, that core management team, to ensure kind of we're heading in the right direction. But then bringing in as much experience as possible. So, as I say, you can take somebody who has you know taught in the organisation or is showing um showing promise um, you know they might be new in the organization and you could then they can then upskill a the teacher and subject if there's a gap there and obviously all parties are happy or you can try and um, recruit people from specific subject sector areas or specialisms um you know bring them in for a day a week or two days a week and eventually you know that is that it's, like it's the dipping the toe in the teaching whether or not they like it and again if you look at any job offers out there, we're trying to find as a as a sector, we're trying to find those specialist teachers. So then, as kind of the carrot f- for those guys, is a lot of organisations. You know, it's, it's not guaranteed, but a lot of organisations then might fund your teacher training. You know, if you sign up, to, if you sign up to an organisation and you've got a specialist skill that's in, in shortage, they might fund your your training. When our when our mm, trained
3: yeah.
2: when our trained are self funded, so actually looking back, that's that would be a really good way into into the sector really
1: so think talking about now schools so how, how does this flexibility or whatever play out in a secondary school in terms of subject specialists do you have people that kind of migrate over to different areas different specialisms do you have all of these kind of guests you know the village you were talking about do they come yeah. in
2: well <sighs> I can only talk on my experience for this obviously and it, it's been quite a while since I've been in a school and when I was in a school my feeling or my understanding was you know I, I personally felt at the time maybe because I was wet behind the age or I was new I felt like it was slightly less flexibility you know the school day is kind of more regimented um, you know how many students you're getting from year six to year seven you can kind of you can map things out more clearly. FE's, feeds a little bit more, um, I feel like more analysis is needed and you might do all your analysis in the world and then you don't recruit, which then impacts your, your staffing. Um, in terms of migration and retraining in, in school, um, first and foremost school as a sector, um, sort of secondary schools, primary schools as a sector, typically pays more than FE, so it's almost, in my opinion, it becomes um, Probably easier, to work, but also then you, you you get career teachers. You know, you get career teachers, and where well, you get a subject and you stick with it. then I'm sure. I was sure going to say need...
1: that. Yeah, so uh, you yeah. tend to get the longer term people in for the long haul in them kind Absolutely. of places. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Now I'm sure if anyone listening, you know, they might be they might be thinking these these guys don't know what they're talking about. You can't you can move <laughs> you can you, you can you can move around. And how much i I worked in in secondary schools and you know they might have went in as a PE teacher and now they're teaching science you know they might have migrated to biology and there's there's links there so again it's it's, it's about personality it's about getting the right fit for the the right time and in and, and the right place right place right time right fit so again it goes back to us one of my opening points was about resilience and adaptability it's not to say that in a secondary school that that doesn't happen and I know children in um, primary school at the minute and I know it seems to be that some of the teachers, you know, they might be in reception and then they get allocated year four or whatever it may be
1: hmm.
2: each year. So there's there's still there's still a movement within a, within a school uh, setting, I think would be naive to think um, that wouldn't be the case. But m- my personal uh, opinion from my experience is there seems to be kind of more flexibility within an FE, probably due to that unpredictability of local needs or uh, number of students coming to the college or w- w- whatever that may be. And with that uncertainty it creates a, a big challenge for managers to ensure you've got the right staff in you know you don't want to be overstaffed you don't want to be understaffed so there's yeah. there's, there's, there's almost there's more flexibility there and, and what we'll do as well we'll uh, we do use agency well we, we can use agencies or we can uh,
1: agency do you mean like staff you hire hiring for the like su- supply teaching kind of yes yeah, so, but they, uh, you, you hire them in
2: yeah so we can so sometimes again it's just Depends on the business need, you know. We need to, get, as an organisation or any organisation, again, you need the right people, right time, so, to be able to do that job. So, uh, I think again in FE, uh, there's that flexibility because, you know, for example, I, I don't know floristry. I'm just picking some randomly subject. Uh, apologies if there's any flor- florist listening. Um, you know, <laughs> h- how can we measure the demand for that? You know, we might we might aim to run a course and expect ten learners. But then we only get one so it becomes finally you know it's, it's unviable to run it but that doesn't mean we won't you know if there's a, if there's a need there and uh, we can service that need and that will really help the local economy or the local uh skill shortage so there's there's so many factors at play. Where so
1: if there's an yeah. unviable course such as floristry you've got a floristry yeah. lecturer permanent contract yeah what would that floristry lecturer then do
2: what happened well mm. i I mean, this is you know speculation. I wouldn't let us. Yeah, you
1: know, hypothetically.
2: <laughs> hypothetically, you know, um, it's almost well in a in a large FE college, um, kind of it's almost a case of one door closes, another one opens. So again, it's it's having the right place, right time, right person, right skill set. If that if let's hypothetically, uh, and it's all hypotheticals. This, um, you know. Maybe that course doesn't run and the organisation decides it doesn't run. Well, actually, maybe there's a, a, a maternity cover in a different department that's perfectly suited, and that person's got the right um, knowledge skills to be able to pass on to the learners. Or it could be a case of, well, actually, ideally, nobody wants to be made redundant, so it might be a case of kind of you need to upskill, and then you can go and teach on this or you can teach on that. Um, it, it's very fluid. There's no, There's no sort of definitive... There's no definitive outcome this would definitely happen it's, it's all about and it, it, it does come come down to numbers because you never know as a, in a fe college you might think you might you might plan for one class of 20 learners and then all of a sudden you've got you've got four learners. and then all of a sudden as an organization we're looking for oh we need another member of staff or we need another room oh or we yeah need, yeah we,
1: we, we, the panic the pan- but, yeah actually, <laughs> Just grab absolutely. stuff grab some chairs I'm in a room <laughs>
2: yeah um so, but you know, it comes back again, we're talking about subject specialism. As an organisation, you never want to put somebody who didn't have that foundation knowledge in front of a class, you know, that would, that would be, you know, shocking. Um, but again, I'll go back to resilience and adaptability. If that floristry teacher is an outstanding teacher and it's got all those skills and knowledge and attributes and their pedagogical approach, outstanding and it can be adapted and put onto another class you wouldn't want to lose that person so so in in terms of subject knowledge and you know I I was thinking before I spoke to you how much would I stay on on topic or how much would it end up being like the Peter Peter Crouch podcast where they talk about the Champions League but they end up talking about his underpants you know I can't I, I can't, I, I can't talk about subject specialism without talking about in the room, in my personal opinion, you know, it would be the use of AI. So in right. terms of you okay. know you know you, well, you know sub well in terms of subject specialism, you know, AI is this no one really knows what it is or you know what it will will be. But in terms of sort of resource planning and, and creation and, and time management, you know, I I remember spending hours on my PGC, hours making all sorts mm-hmm. of starters and resources and yeah. Uh, yeah. word searches, and now you know. It can be done a lot quicker, a lot faster. Uh, it's not, it's not, um it's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be better than people, um, you know, creating resources. So if I, I feel, you know, I feel like I've got a strong knowledge of business and sort of computing, but you know, I haven't taught computing for a couple of years now, so I, it's almost out of date. So where AI comes in, you know, if I need to create a resource, or I need to look at something up. As much as learners are trying to use AI. Um, Teachers can be using it as well, and and that's not to say subject specialism isn't important, but in terms of up- skilling and updating, I think, I think somebody using AI will be in a more powerful position than somebody not using it. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's, it's almost, it's almost like, an, it's another tool, isn't it? It's And it's almost the dawn of, well, uh, hypothetical or like in a in a scenario, I suppose, compared to Google. So one teacher is just using books to produce resources and one person using books and Google is pretty. I mean, the Google teacher will probably find more resources quicker. And I think it's just the same. I think it's almost an evolution. Well, yeah, by all means, use books because I think that's one resource that um, is really underutilized. I almost feel like um, students, definitely, maybe some staff, you know, are so used to going on Google and search engines. I would hate, I think that would happen with AI when we've got specialist books out there. You know any any sort of topic anyone that's done the degree you know you, rather than finding trying to find an obscure web page you can find hundreds of pages of specialist information in a book or, or, or an ebook um, but and that's where you get your subject knowledge from it's not it's it's almost i, I don't want to go too deep or too crazy with ai but it's, i've spoke to my colleagues about this and posed the question i said well actually well, how do we even how do we even um, evidence knowledge so is it coursework based? Is it exam based? It, you know, think about any sort of organization. Um, a doctor, for example, you know, mm-hmm. could 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 you go on AI? Can you go on AI and ask? Can you ask it a question? I've seen you know lawyers that they can go through and read, try and find ex, exceptions to the rule, whereas AI can do that a lot quicker. So it's kind of well, what is knowledge? Is it? I, I believe like obviously in the role in the real world, you need to be competent, and competence, but competence comes with time. So you, you could have all the subject knowledge in the world, and you could be, you know, you could pass all the exams or pass all the coursework. But if you haven't got sort of that combination of being able to teach and be able to then and, and use sort of a multifaceted approach, then you're going to struggle in the classroom. You're going to struggle with learners if you can't deal with behaviour that's not appropriate for learning. You know that might be low-level disruption. That could be high-level disruption. It could just be because somebody, um, especially in FA, you know, um, there there could be a carer. You know, they might have they might have things going on outside outside the classroom. So subject knowledge is 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 really important, but it's 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 one piece of the jigsaw puzzle as to what makes a good a good teacher.
1: Brilliant, and and I and I have to echo that actually. I I definitely think you know, um, you can't have one without the other in teaching and and definitely when i was um supporting with teaching and learning that's what i found some people came in with tons bags and bags of subject knowledge um and then you put them in a classroom and they literally did not know what to do even though they have might have had a teaching qualification whatever it's it's totally different when you come on board and you're and you're contracted to teach these kids and you're fully responsible for their program of study or whatever it is um so th- that's kind of like what i want to move on to now because we've talked about know we've we've talked about the operational aspects recruiting subject specialists how that kind of fares the the kind of employer and the employee as a subject specialist and you talked about the reason why we need subject specialisms for the students especially when they're coming from lower level and going all the way up to degree level and maintaining that so let's talk about the kind of um you've got the subject specialist and then they're reading, they're teaching now how much of your subject specialism realistically are you using in your teaching role say on a day to day what kind of percentage are we talking about what are we actually doing with all of this knowledge now me personally i've I've obviously my subject specialism was um, like yourself i taught some maths i taught some business i taught some i.t i taught some teacher training um and now in my current position I don't actually know how much of my literary masters is used in my teaching specialism. So I don't know if, again that's personal experience, I don't know if that's like uh, the more you're in your career the less you kind of use your subject specialism, the more pedagogical knowledge and and curriculum knowledge. Um, I, I don't know, that's what I personally found. Is that something that you can relate to as a different, different subjects?
2: Well, I think, I think anyone listening to this...
3: It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background or reason for studying.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
4: The Evening Standard reports that the education expert, who oversaw a 90% fall in school exclusions in Glasgow, has been tasked with driving down exclusions in London. Maureen McKenna is a former Director of Education at Glasgow City Council, and has been hired as a consultant by London's Violence Reduction Unit, the VRU, with the goal of boosting inclusive education. According to the paper, McKenna's work saw fixed-term exclusions drop by 90% over 14 years, which also coincided with a 50% reduction in violence. Driving down exclusions is seen as important by many, and whilst less than 1 in 200 children in the UK are permanently excluded, The VIU says that almost two of the country's prison population were excluded as children. Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, said he welcomed Ms McKenna's appointment and McKenna herself said she was delighted to be part of the project. However, critics of the zero exclusion philosophy pointed out that schools only use suspension and exclusions in response to serious breaches of behaviour and discipline and that this new approach could make schools less safe for all. Schools Week reported on a new study which asked parents about the impact the pandemic had on children's social and emotional skills. The study by IFS and UCL's Institute of Education also noted that reception age pupils were amongst the worst affected. The experts concluded that there was no evidence that youngsters from disadvantaged families fared worse than their non-disadvantaged peers. However, they did stress that economic instability did have an impact on well-being. Children whose families' pre-Covid employment situation changed during or shortly after the pandemic were far more likely to be negatively impacted, even if parents didn't suffer any significant loss of earnings. Geoff Barton, General Secretary of School Leaders Union, ASCO, said the research underlined the need for extra funding for children's services. He went on to say that, combined with other factors such as the cost of living crisis, COVID has taken a real toll on pupils' health and well-being. Barton made it clear that schools are doing everything they can to support pupils with academic and emotional development, but are doing so in the face of budget challenges and lack of investment from the government in both education and children's services. The Guardian features comments from Russell Group that elite universities will turn away increasing numbers of UK students over the next few years, in favour of more lucrative international applicants. Tuition fees for home students have been frozen at £9,250 a year since 2017, but experts calculate that as a result of rising inflation, the real value has dropped to £6,000. This is significantly less than it costs to teach the average student. With the number of 18-year-olds in the UK continuing to rise, Leading universities say they won't be able to meet demands for British sixth formers without government support, or they will have to raise tuition fees. The Russell Group has estimated that universities will be losing an average £4,000 per year for every year undergraduate they teach by next September. Universities have said the decline in the value of fees means they cannot meet staff demands on pay, despite facing five years of industrial action, including marking boycotts, which means some students without a grade this summer. Finally, a study by Myriad suggests that mindfulness in schools doesn't improve young people's mental health. The My Resilience in Adolescence or Myriad project investigated the effectiveness of a brief school-based mindfulness intervention in supporting the mental health of young people in secondary school pupils aged 11 to 16. The project spanned over eight years and involved more than 28,000 students, 650 teachers and 100 schools. Mindfulness in Schools project was taught by teachers to their students after completing the programme themselves. Although inconsistent practice was one reason mindfulness didn't work, there were other factors to consider, particularly looking at factors which contribute to poor mental health, such as inequality and deprivation. The research also suggests that the treatment of mental health problems is best left to experienced and qualified mental health professionals not teachers and schools full details of the study and its findings can be found by visiting the welcome.org website this has been your teachers talk radio news with joe fox
2: i think anyone listening to this whether at the work in education or if there's a random person listening into it because they're interested in, in teaching and they're working in any industry. I think if you ask that question to anybody, how much of your schooling or your if you've got a degree, undergrad or masters, how much to use in your do you use that in your current role? In my experience, I I would assume that it wouldn't necessarily be much of it. I think um don't get me wrong, I think education is absolutely key. And I'm not I'm speaking uh, negatively on education, I think it's an outstanding vehicle um, to develop all the different knowledge, skills and behaviours and, you, you know, the broaden your, your views on the world. But then actually, when you step into the classroom, you, obviously you need... The, <laughs> the, you much, need the, most
1: of it's damage control
2: for the first. Well, I think what I say to anyone I'm working with when I'm uh, mentoring, especially you know if we're, we've hired someone who's unqualified you know we're putting them through the qualification anyone listening their experience of that uh, of being in the classroom is, is that and being a student and it looks easy if you've got a good teacher and everything's going all right it looks easy so people think oh well, that, that's easy you know you just have to stand at the front and blah 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 you don't, don't see all of the work that goes in behind the scenes um for years of experience and um, competency that's gone into you know identifying a a minor issue in the classroom and kind of putting out a fire before it begins you know i think competency comes with time and experience um and again you mentioned that pedagogical approach so in terms of the subject specialism yes of course it gives you a strong foundation knowledge but depending on what what subject you are delivering especially um you kind of have to update, you have to learn new things, you know I did a bit, my undergrad um, was uh, in business management, then when I did my post in and teaching, um, one of the criteria that for the course was we had to evidence our subject knowledge, how, how, how do we evidence our subject knowledge, it was almost a case you know this is the qualification I've got, um, so one of the one of the elements we had to do was kind of put a portfolio together of things that we know, which is well, look. Well, at the time it felt a bit bizarre, but you know, even now it's like, well, how, <laughs> how do you evidence? How do you evidence that knowledge? You was you could just go on an e-book or go on a website and print out, oh, well, I know this, I know that, and, I know yeah, and it, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, sort of what yeah. use is that? A certificate wasn't uh, enough. Well, the yeah, wasn't but, enough.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah but,
2: but, but again, though, people, but, but people get. You know, I I got a degree um, in business, but then when I first taught. Um, tech business you know I'm talking almost 15 years ago so uh, tech business being at level two some of the things on that spec I thought I've never even heard of this before well, like what, <laughs> you know what is this it's like don't get me wrong it wasn't high level stuff but I just thought I haven't heard that term before I haven't heard it delivered in that way so all of a sudden when you're going into the classroom in my in my in my opinion I'm learning every day you know we look at the specs and you know we are bound, bound by the specs but that doesn't mean our teaching has to be we don't just teach you the specification, but we kind of have to make sure we're meeting what's in what's in there. Mm-hmm. So an example of that would be, you know, if you're teaching an older an older spec, where in IT or digital, for example, it might talk about um, where you can save your where you can save your data. So again, this is just an example. It might talk about the cloud. It might talk about hard drives or about flash drives. It might then talk about floppy discs so mm-hmm. may, hypothetically it might have been when that when that spec came out maybe floppy disks were a genuine way where you could save things. I mean you still you still can and this I don't you want any IT buffers out there, there saying <laughs> yeah yeah well no but I mean I'm sure that I, I've allegedly some of the military codes are saved on floppy disks but, yeah, um, right, okay.
1: <laughs> but,
2: but it's almost so then you just have to adapt your teaching so maybe you start teaching that one year where it's kind of cutting edge almost and then in the future you say well actually you know now you ask a student well do you use a flash Drive, a usb flash drive like well no not really just say about my phone it goes to the cloud so it's, you just have to pivot your subject knowledge or your but it's not your subject knowledge you have to pivot your experience in. well this is how it was so t- to move forward you should still have a good grounding you should know this information yeah. you know it almost becomes a bit of a, of a history lesson but i think again you know this, the, this conversations about subject knowledge again it comes with experience it, you have to you have to adapt you have to
1: I think Sorry? like when you're saying things like adapt and you're saying you know your mindset shifts like i have to agree with you totally there because when you know you are a subject specialist teacher in english right which was my background you look yes. out for the english in the world you look out for the text you look out for the this you look at when i was doing maths i was looking out for the maths in the world because Absolutely. um you your mind shift uh, mindset shift and you become a kind of um absorbing, consuming that subject specialism wherever you are. And all of a sure. sudden you've forgotten all about English. You can't remember <laughs> yeah. what, what uh, you know, compound complex sentences anymore because you've gone into a, a maths kind of mindset. And then again, when I did the business, it was, I was obsessed. I was looking at marketing strategies. I was looking at and, and all of a sudden, and, and because you know you have to teach it, it's almost yeah. like you need to keep absorbing what you can around you uh, uh, about that. Um, And I think it's a very kind of a a natural thing that, you know, teachers and lecturers do and they don't realise they do it um, and they take for granted almost. But I definitely noticed the difference. If I had to go back into a maths classroom now after not teaching it for however long it's been, I wouldn't have a clue. But if I was in that maths classroom for, say, two months, I would talk as if I'd been doing it forever.
2: Yeah, exactly. And adaptability, just like you've said, I remember being, I was quite good at maths at, at school and I was kind of top sets and um, mm. so when you're in top sets you're kind of doing a little bit more advanced maths and maybe that use a calculator and when I stepped back into the classroom to teach Foundation GCSE maths, how much do you remember? Well exactly so for example long, <laughs> long, long, long division in the bus stop method it was like mm. oh okay oh, I haven't done this since, I haven't done this for such uh, a long the time. Method the the re-
1: same, oh my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised because you know the way we did long multiplication, it's taught totally different than my kids. Yeah. So I've been trying to teach my kids how to do long multiplication or long division, they're like, no, you don't yeah. do it like that. They're doing like grids and- Absolutely. Or, uh, and I'm thinking yeah. even the methods change and evolve and stuff like that, don't they? So it's just, well,
2: oh. Yeah, so, so but again, I think it comes down, you know, to, to competency and sort of, uh, has a as an individual got the, the the competency and the ability to to function at a certain level and then almost keep that hunger for knowledge are they willing to reset are they willing to to, to learn or re learn and relearn um so yeah, you did right so they going back into the classroom and teaching you know looking at well I used to do it this way, oh, I forgot how to do it so you, you know you, can, you, you yeah you look over it and think, oh, that's how you're doing you just refresh your mind. But you're very very much right in terms of maths there's so many different ways you can do long multiplication and division etc that get taught now now for me that, that that blows my mind a little bit now we all know everyone in the, in the classroom you know has different ways of learning different preferences of learning so as a math teacher which i'm not i'm not professing uh, claiming to be at the minute um that's not what i'm teaching next year has to know different approaches so you have to be. You have to be adaptable and think. Well, just because I can, just because I can pass a test and I can do long multiplication a certain way, it doesn't mean that's the only way it has to be done. So you have to be have to have that fluidity to try and reach your learners and in, in, in different approaches, really.
1: Well, that was the thing I realised when I was teaching maths. I thought, oh my god, I only. I'm going to do it all these different ways, and and that really kind of struck some internal alarm bells, like. Am I good enough to do this? Am I good enough to check these answers? Am I good enough to get out? So exactly like you were saying, you know, different people have different ways of learning and they've come from all different schools because they're in FE, you know, you're feeding in from yeah. so many different schools, so many different teachers. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I felt like panic. I thought, oh, my gosh, am I equipped? Am I knowledgeable enough to support these kids to teach them how to get to that same answer in all of these different ways? And thankfully, yeah. I didn't have ai unfortunately but there yeah. are resources online that supported me so you know i yeah. went online i found some videos i found yeah. some worksheets and you know saved by the bell almost <sighs> but then you know i i used to have this very naive when i was when i was really fresh when i was really eager a teacher working you know 100 hours a week and all that stuff i used to think like, I'm, a, I'm a really good teacher i could teach anything I could I literally I could teach anything as long as I'm a step ahead of the students but mm-hmm. I quickly realize how quickly you burn out you kill yourself and are you doing as good a service as someone who's got you know say maths or whatever it is on their brain 24 7 and they're such a professed expert definitely not but it, it's a fine balance isn't it and you know do you fulfill business need and do the best you can with a good teacher that can adapt and flex or do you say there's, there's no one to teach you or do you kill the expert who is you know 10 years uh, experience teaching whatever and put in you know thousand overtime hours in them because there's no other teacher and it's like i think that's what that's what organizations are currently trying to juggle uh, and I mm. don't think there's any easy answer but I mean from a teaching point of view there, there definitely have been some panic moments and those <sighs> moments where I thought oh, what am I doing here <laughs> like, why am I but, standing well, in front of these people? I,
2: I, I think if anyone was honest any teacher was honest I think that we've all had those moments you know and it just it probably the more so at the beginning of, of your career but I'm sure if everyone was honest you know you, you can still have them now it doesn't matter how, how far in you are um I suppose that's what's exciting about teaching you know it's, it's not mundane um there's always there's, there's perpetual change there's a, n- nothing ever stays the same your students might change the, the spec might change the organization might change your policy um someone might be having a good day a bad day so I, again you know we talked about can people migrate over we mentioned the florist because they're going to teach something else and of course they could but again what you don't want to do is dial it. in my personal opinion you don't want to dilute people too much, you know. You don't want you don't want people to become a jack of all trades. So that's where the the specialism needs to come in. Because in my experience, the last thing that you'd want to do is think, well, okay, we don't necessarily have periods like period one, period two at, now uh, in FE, but you don't want to think, oh well, on the morning I'm teaching business level one, and then on the afternoon I'm teaching uh geography level three, and then on Tuesday morning I'm teaching, you know, you, as a
1: that does We're happen in, though, and I know it well, does happen in FE that yeah. you're teaching like multiple different, sometimes but essentially very different subjects.
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. And again, the the the, the specifications and the, the how many different specifications we run or different subject sector areas. You might be teaching computing, for example. Now, again, if you're in computing in school, you've got a specification. You might have maybe two two different exam boards, maybe. Whereas in FE, you might have multiple. You might have for computing, you might be running four, or five, six different exam boards, which then means, yes, the, co- the core subjects are the same the, 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 and then the foundation knowledge is the same, but each spec might be a different level, a different expectation. And so even even within computing, you might be teaching, uh, you might have to teach coding for a lot of different languages. Now, different languages in computing, it's like learning different languages to speak. So there's so many places. That's where specialism companies to come in. If you're gonna teach Java, for example, then you probably, you know, it's quite, it'll be quite tricky just to stay one step ahead of the students with, with no knowledge of how, how it is. Then go and teach somebody Japanese and you've never taught Japanese before, you know. <laughs> so, so, so you need, you, you, you need that, like I say, you need that core knowledge uh, and that core, you, you couldn't necessarily take that florist who had no computing experience. They could be the best teacher in the world, but they couldn't then go and teach uh, Java you know, JavaScript or you could, but, but again, it depends. And like, like, just like in school, as I say, there there, there, there can be movement. As I mentioned before, PE and then moving to biology, there there are similarities there. You know, there's, um, there's transferable skills. Um, but specialist knowledge is important, 100% important. But then so is sort of the attributes to be a teacher. We could take, we could take someone who, might be an absolute whiz in industry, in web design or whatever it may be, but then they, may, maybe they maybe they've got sort of medical conditions or social anxiety and they couldn't step into the classroom. So they might have outstanding knowledge, but they can't deliver that knowledge. And it's it's to be a FE teacher or to be a teacher in any, any uh, setting, I suppose, you, you kind of need to strike, strike that balance. And that balance is always kind of a, a slightly moving picture. Do you need more knowledge now? Do you need a bit more know a teaching experience now or you've got a challenging learner and I believe you know I've taught for quite a while now it's a, it's a competency of teaching the competency of teaching and then upskilling yourself you know you can't be lazy you can't step to take your foot off the gas but then if there's something really niche or really specialist then you can always bring in bring in the experts or aim to bring in the experts um which and I'm sure you know if you look back when you well if you look back it's if any listeners that look back in school you kind of remember those trips or you remember those visits it's almost like um, you don't necessarily get the appreciation as a, as a teacher because the, mm-hmm. the students know you you become, you become a second parent and it's almost like you're <laughs> nagging them so, you, so you, can t- you can you can you can t- you can deliver outstanding subject knowledge to the students in an outstanding and fun way but then you bring a guest speaker and just bring some free pens in which you
0: know, I, I, we
2: we 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 I, I, I absolutely love I absolutely love the you know guest speakers that we get. You know, thank you for everyone whoever will come in as a guest speaker. You know, by all means come in. But they could say the same thing, but because they weren't in the industry, it kind of comes with a bit more punch than, than when than when you're saying when you're saying in the classroom. Um, but right. yeah, I, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, you definitely, definitely think subject specialist knowledge. Definitely needed, used, but in different ways in teaching. Is that right? Am I, am I summing this up right? But you yeah. need to have the teaching competencies, skills and attributes to being able to get through that subject knowledge to your learners.
2: Totally. And and just the willingness willingness, and the resilience to be able to adapt and change and you know, reinvent yourself, reinvent um, your content, you know, don't get- offended.
1: Whether you change subject specialisms or not, you need to be able or, to do that. Or,
2: one, one, without a doubt. You, know, yeah, you might, bro. you might, you you put, you put, you produce a, res- you produce a resource, and you spend hours, in your and you do, and then all of a sudden it's out of date. You know, you can't get offended saying, "Oh, well, Oh, it's there's changed. nothing
1: worse, is there? When you when you get a resource of someone, a colleague, yeah. like, "Oh, I've got a good lesson on that." And you open yeah. it, it says something like twenty twenty, uh, well, twenty nineteen on it, or whatever. And you think things have changed so much since then. Um,
0: totally.
1: And yeah i i definitely I definitely think you know you've touched on some really good points there alex um and really kind of broad approach into understanding your point of view i think right, thank you very much alex um I really appreciate everything you've kind of covered there um really interesting to hear about the kind of scope of subject specialism you know the the introduction of AI coming in. Um, We've looked at how employers might face difficulties in getting subject specialists, but also on the plus side, how flexible it can be in FE where you might enter with some subject specialism and then change and adapt to suit business needs and maybe find yourself a career in something you didn't think you'd enjoy but end up loving. Um, So subject specialism is important, but it's not you know, concrete. It is fluid from what I gather. Um, and it's nice to hear so many different issues. Um, we'll, be, we'll be fine kind of discussing this forever, I think. And I think it's not something that's got an easy fix or an easy answer anywhere. So we really interested to see um, what you guys think if you want to uh, message me on Twitter and, and tell me about any kind of changes you've done or any changes you've had in career positive, negative, with your subject specialisms it would be really good to know um so i hope you've enjoyed my first show everyone and um catch you again in a couple of weeks on the morning break um with our next guests. thanks bye
0: you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time